Radio Mano Papachango. Coming to you from Topanga Canyon, California, once again. Um, first thing, update on Justin. Not much good news, I'm afraid. Uh, those of you who listened to the last episode know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, um, Justin was a guest on the podcast three, four times. I don't remember, several Justin Alexander is his name. He became a good friend. Um, he and I and Casilda spent about a month together in Thailand this winter, and then he went off to Nepal and uh, spent probably a month and a half, two months um, building a school in some remote village in the mountains up there. Uh, you know, paid his own way, uh, paid for tools, just completely selfless. Wonderful guy, busting his ass, sleeping in the dirt, building this school for the village. And then he went to India and um, he was going to buy a Royal Enfield motorcycle, which he managed to do. And he was going to cruise around India for a while. And uh, he went up into the mountains and met a yogi. And, you know, I sort of got these sporadic emails from him and I saw his posts on Instagram and uh, and on Facebook and anyway, long story short, he decided to go off and live in a cave with this strange yogi dude who had like cut his penis off as a way to renounce desire and his his limbs are all fucked up, which I don't know. I saw a photo of this guy that Justin posted and uh, you know I'm no expert on yoga, but it doesn't seem like something that should leave you like fucked up you know anyway what do i know he went off to to live in the in a cave with this guy and um the guy came back and justin didn't and uh it's become a very um, stressful situation he was due back uh a month ago and um the last update is that some uh, some hikers met him two or three days out from the town, and he said he was headed back to town. He was done with the cave and done with the yogi and done with all that shit. He was going to head down, pick up his stuff in the guest house, his backpack, passport, all that stuff, and then grab his motorcycle and continue his trip through India. And no one's seen him since then, at least no one who uh, has been found so somewhere between that point and the village, two or three day hike away, um, Justin disappeared. And of course, we're all hoping that he's chilling in some village somewhere and um, just decided not to bother, you know, or maybe he has amnesia. Who knows? There are there are possibilities. But to be honest, I'm feeling kind of kind of negative about the whole thing. Uh, so instead of talking about that, I'm going to play a song. Um, this, a guy named Will sent this to me. Uh, he's, he's in a band called the, the Ha Pennies, Half Pennies. 
I don't know how you pronounce that. I think you have to have some sort of British accent to pronounce it correctly. But their website is uh, halfpennies, in an American accent, .co.uk. I played one of their songs. I don't remember what song it was, but I remember I liked it a lot. Anyway, he uh, Will Earlham is uh, one of the guys in the band. He sent me this tune that he had just composed sort of, you know, that night, I think. Uh, and he just, you know, sang it, recorded it. And I think he was high on one thing or another. And he's like, hey, I'll send this to Chris. And he did. And it's really good. And I asked him if I could use it on the podcast in its raw state. So this is like its first iteration. Now, of course, you know, as a professional, he'll go back, he'll polish it. The guys in the band will add some overlays and add a bass line and get some drums in there and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, maybe someday we'll listen to the finished version, assuming uh, they decide to, to go on with it. But I thought this was really cool because this episode is kind of raw. This is um, a woman that I met at uh, Josh Fox's party a couple weeks ago, three, four weeks ago now. It's all blending together. I'm not sure. Um, But as you'll hear, she's an amazing woman. And the reason I'm doing it this week, I had scheduled I was going to do the episode with Josh this week. Um, But the reason I decided to do this episode with um, Dia is... Her name's Dia Schlossberg. She's a filmmaker, and she was up at the protests uh, where the uh, on the Native American land, on the reservation land, where they're protesting the pipelines, these oil pipe pipelines being built. She was up there filming, and she got arrested, and they threw her in jail. And she's been in jail for a couple of days now. Uh, today's Wednesday. Uh, I'm recording this a little earlier than I normally do. This is Wednesday the 12th. So she's in jail. And so I thought, fuck it. Let's let's get her episode up because she's she's ballsy. She's great. And as you'll hear, she's amazing. She's done some really interesting shit. Uh, spent a lot of time in the mountains working with uh, with kids like uh, in the wilderness. <laughs> you'll hear about that. And uh, she also walked from Ecuador to the tip of Tierra del Fuego. Who the fuck do you know who has ever done that? I mean, that's some hardcore shit right there. So, uh, yeah, super cool woman, very interesting, and I hope she'll be out of jail by the time this goes up Monday morning. Um, But in the meantime, I thought, let's put this together. And uh, anyway, so I met her at this party, and the great thing about one of the great things about this party, aside from the amazing people that were there for four days, and uh, just the the land is so beautiful. She and I recorded this on a rowboat out on the pond. So this is a pond cast more than a podcast. Uh, but one of the great things about it was that at night. Uh, They just built a big fire and everybody hung around and passed a bottle of tequila around the fire and some joints and people are playing guitars and Josh played his banjo and people are singing and it was just so fucking cool. And, you know, it reminded me something that I've experienced so many times in life where, you know, I know this is going to sound cliched, you know, fuck it. A lot of cliches are true. Um the best things in life are simple. You know, I think about hammocks. I've probably said this on this podcast. Hammock, a hammock is like the most basic human invention. In fact, I think it's the first human invention. I think, in fact, it goes 
back before there were humans. I think as we became human, the one thing we brought with us, the one piece of technology we brought along was the hammock. Because chimpanzees and bonobos, our two closest relatives with whom we share a last common ancestor about five million years ago, both of them make essentially hammocks. Every night, they weave together branches in the treetops, and they sleep on those woven-together branches, suspended 40, 50 feet above the jungle floor. So even before our ancestors were human, whatever the hell we're defining human as, they were sleeping in hammocks. So the hammock is as old as we are as a species or older. And... As a great lover of hammocks, I can tell you it is the perfect furniture. No, no piece of furniture that has been invented since then beats the hammock in terms of its support for the body, in terms of its comfort, in terms of the fact that your feet are at the same height as your head, which gives your it's the perfect position for circulation. You don't have the pooling of blood. You don't have the pressure points that you get even in the most comfortable bed. You get pressure points pushing on your hips, on your shoulders, whatever. The hammock is the perfect fucking piece of furniture. And similarly, the perfect social event in my humble opinion, is anywhere from two to 20 or 30 people around a fire, drinking, laughing, smoking, talking, playing music, singing, fucking, whatever it is they're doing, if you're doing it around a fire, it just seems like the perfect place to be doing it. Under the stars, there's a breeze, there's the fires endlessly fascinating to look into. You know, I often think, how has the human brain evolved in the presence of these fires? Because every night for hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors have sat there looking into this beautiful dancing, constantly changing, yet consistent shape, this this utterly mysterious yet familiar presence in their lives, our brains have evolved for that. Just like our digestive systems for white people anyway, evolved in the presence of milk. And we develop these enzymes that are specially adapted to digest lactase. Our brains, certainly our consciousness, all of us, Human beings evolved in the presence of fire, and in some ways we are adapted to that, and we miss it. We miss it so much that we become addicted to our fucking computer screens and our phone screens and our television screens. But what a cheap, flat, fucking substitute these screens are for the depth and the wonder of a fire. Anyway, so this song reminds me of that kind of energy. It's organic and it's uh, elemental. Maybe I'll just stay a child Play with bugs in the wild Run through puddles and stand my feet I'm getting wet right up to my knees Stop 
It's a song with no name. Song in Progress by Will Earlham. You want to hear some more of his music and his band's music, go to halfpennies.co.uk. Check them out. They're good. They have a nice website, too. I'm looking at it right now. It's got band jamming photos. Looks like they're having a good time. Looks like the kind of band you would definitely want to see. Like there are dudes standing around with beers. There's a guy on stage with a beer, pint in his hand. They look like the kind of band you would uh, have a very good time with. And I see they've got a tour schedule up, but it's all London. All London, except for one typo. Will, if you're listening to this, you guys got a typo. It says uh, one of your your gigs, it's all London, London, then there's Longden. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's not a typo. Maybe there's a town called Longden in the United Kingdom, but if not, I don't know people are all going to be wandering around looking for Longden on July the 30th, Saturday. <laughs> I think it doesn't matter. I think that's in the past. Well, anyway, uh, the half pennies, check them out. Uh, they're great. So the reason I'm recording this on Wednesday, I normally record these on the weekend, just a day or two before they go up on Mondays. 
But I'm recording this on Wednesday because I am headed to San Francisco where we have arranged a meeting between two great minds. When I was hanging with uh, Wim Hof a couple of weeks ago in the Pyrenees, and we were talking about all this sort of mind-body stuff that he's doing and how interesting and important it is and how, you know, what Wim's really focused on now is, as he said in the podcast, is bringing some scientific scrutiny to what he's doing so that his feats aren't dismissed as, you know, just some sort of circus freak show performed by uh, a genetic anomaly. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that he's been teaching people the breathing exercises and, and you know, uh, enabling them to withstand temperatures and manipulate their immune response and things like that. Because he wants to show that it's not just him. It's not just that he's some special guy that was born with, you know, three three feet or, you know, whatever. He, he, the genetic equivalent, the immunological equivalent of, you know, 12 toes or something. That this is something that can be learned and um, that can be harnessed for the benefit of the world, of humanity. I mean, think about that. You know, we surrender so much because we're told it's impossible. And one of the things we've surrendered is the notion that we have a healing capacity within ourselves. Because we're given pills and we're told, trust a doctor. A doctor knows. The doctor will tell you what to do. The doctor will do this. The doctor will give you the right dose of this poison that will just kill that tumor, but it won't kill the, the tissue around it, even though all your hair is going to fall out and your fucking skin's going to get paper thin and you're going to feel like shit and you're going to be puking every fucking day and you're not going to be able to keep any food down. But trust me, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. Okay. There's a book called Lives of a Cell written by Lewis Thomas, who was an oncologist. I think he was the head of the oncology department at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. It's a classic um, uh, scientific, like popular science book that he wrote. I think he was retired already when he wrote it, but it's from the 70s. It's been a while. Uh, but there's an essay in there where he talks about uh, folk remedies for warts and how every culture around the world has their own folk remedy for warts i don't remember i'll mix them up but like in, let's say in poland you know you um, you take a piece of garlic and you 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 know cut it in half and you smear the wart and then you put the other half of the garlic under your pillow and you sleep that night and then when you wake up in the morning the wart will be gone or in you know, in Ireland, you cut a potato and half of the potato, you sm smear the wart, but you have to do it on a full moon. And then you bury the other half in the back behind the house. And then you walk in circles and blah, 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 whatever it is. All these cultures have these folk remedies and they work. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Wade Davis before long. I'm going to fly up to British Columbia. Thank you. To those of you who support the podcast, because you're making it possible for me to get on an airplane and fly to Vancouver to interview Wade fucking Davis. If you don't know who he is, Google him. He's an amazing guy. Um, anyway, uh, he wrote one of his first books is about voodoo. And he he talks about how people who are part of the voodoo tradition, when they are cursed, they die. 
they fucking die. If they believe they're going to die from a curse, they die from it. Um, you know, and, and similarly, if they believe they've been blessed, then suddenly the stress drops away and they feel so much better. Or if the curse has been removed, then, then they don't die from it. Now, you might look at that and say, oh, what a bunch of bullshit, right? Or you might look at these folk remedies for warts and say, that's just silly. You know, obviously it can't work if, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. How could it work? You know, you bury a potato in the backyard, the garlic, and blah, blah, blah. But they do work. That's why they exist. They work. So what Lewis Thomas says in that book is, and this is, remember, this is the chief of oncology at a major hospital. He says, Let's look at what's happening there. Instead of just chuckling and, you know, nodding our heads at the silly fucking natives. What's happening there? Somehow, somehow, with this little ritual involving potatoes or garlic or whatever it is, we're directing the immune response to attack some tissue, specific tissue, the tissue of the wart, without attacking the tissue around the wart so that in the time it takes you to sleep in the eight hours you're asleep somehow your body is eliminating one type of cell and not hurting the cells around it he says this is what we're trying to do with chemotherapy and radiation therapy and drug therapy and all these other things that that we're trying to do, that's exactly, that's exactly where we're trying to get. That's the destination we're trying to get to. And here is this path already cut directly to that destination, and we're not taking it. How fucking crazy is this? We're poisoning people with chemicals, with radiation. We're poisoning them, trying somehow to kill that tissue and, and damaging the entire body, damaging the liver and the kidneys and every other part of the body in the process. And we're just trying to get the right balance so we kill that tissue and don't quite kill the entire organism. So then we can back off when that tissue's dead and the organism will recover. That's, that's what cancer therapy is. But he says, look, we know that we have an innate ability to do exactly what we're trying to do from the outside. Why aren't we trying to harness that ability? Why isn't all our research focused on this ability that we already know we have? Well, we know why, right? There's no money in it. And it doesn't fit the paradigm, the paradigm of the battle, the paradigm of winning the war on cancer, the, all this bullshit. And you might say, oh, okay, well, that kind of folk remedy, that, that only works for sort of, you know, rural, traditional, suspicious type people. Well, that's not true. Every medical trial that's ever been done has to account for the placebo effect. And what is the placebo effect? It's the innate belief that taking a pill is going to change your inner state in ways that supposedly you're not even capable of changing. It's going to change your immunological response. It's going to change your, your base level, level metabolism. It's going to change all sorts of things that supposedly you can't change intentionally. And yet placebo response, it's there. Everybody has to think about it. Everybody has to deal with it. And yet we're not trying to harness it. 
How did I get off on that rant? Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to San Francisco because I'm going to introduce Wim to Stanley Krippner, um, who have, you know, a lot of overlapping interests. And we're going to record a podcast, hopefully, if everybody shows up on time, we're going to re- record a podcast that uh, with uh, Sam Lawrence, who's hosting the event at his house very generously. And we're going to record in his studio, and then Sam and I will co-release the podcast. So you can hear it here, or you can hear it on Sam's podcast, which is called Grow Big Always. Great podcast, by the way, which I highly recommend you check out if you have time and interest in adding another podcast to your podcast menu. Uh, And so that's what I'm doing this weekend, which is why I'm recording this on Wednesday. I think that's pretty much all I'm going to say to you, uh, and I'm just going to get into this conversation with uh, with Dia, who is just so wonderful, and it was a really nice, relaxing afternoon out there on the rowboat. You can hear the weeds scraping against the bottom of the boat, and you might hear a little sloshing or whatever. In fact, she's a filmmaker, as you'll hear, and uh, when we after we'd finished, we were we were rowing across the lake to get back to the dock and um as we pulled up to the dock she said don't you want to record some of the sound of the of the oars in the water and i was like oh that's a good idea you're a pro good idea so uh so i will play some of the sound of the oars on the water probably toward the end um but i'm going to play you out with another song uh which is another song by someone who listens to the podcast that makes me so happy that i get to do this I mean, I, I know it's not going to like make anyone famous or, you know, be you know the the start to a career or whatever. Um, but I'm I'm so glad that I get to sort of use this platform to not only to share music with you that you wouldn't hear otherwise, but also to you know introduce you to each other because the people who send me this music are also people who listen to the podcast. Um, anyway, this song is called Forest. And it's from uh, an album that's just been released called Just When the Light, and it's by David Beckingham. Uh, And you can check out the entire album uh, at uh, davidbeckingham.com. That's David, and then Beckingham is B-E-C-K-I-N-G-H-A-M, beckingham.com. It's a lot of good songs on this record. I'll play some more uh, down the road. Uh, I'm sure. But anyway, this is called uh, Forest, which seemed appropriate given the the subject matter of this podcast, which is very much about the environment and, you know, the wild and all those wonderful things outside of civilization. So this is Forest by David Beckingham. I hope you enjoy this podcast. And uh, thank you to all of you who support the podcast through Amazon, through Patreon.com, through uh, somebody just sent some money. Um I don't want to, I never know if I should use, thank people by name. Um, I did one time, just first names, and then somebody somebody sent me money and uh, he said something like, don't, don't thank me by name because that's really lame, man. So I didn't, I don't know what to do. I mean, it seems only f- polite, but anyway, a guy named David sent me 50 bucks to the support the podcast uh, through PayPal. So thank you, David. And um, if you want me to say your last name, I'll say it next time. But I appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate all of you who signed up on Patreon or who use the Amazon affiliate link on my website.
All right. This is Forrest David Beckingham. That's enough for me. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hope things are going great for you wherever you are. And I will catch you about a week from now. Thanks for listening.
I'm sitting on a rowboat in Pennsylvania, in Mylanville, Pennsylvania. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. I'm so Europeanized. I see. I say Milanville. Yeah, <laughs> Milanville. But it's Mylanville, <laughs> Pennsylvania, with Dea, Dea Schlossberg. Yep. Schlossberg. Schloss is castle. Yep. Castletown. Dea Castletown, uh, who is a Renaissance woman. You don't hear that word a lot, that phrase, renaissance woman, you know? Fuck, mm-hmm. let's let's get it out there. You're a goddamn renaissance woman. <laughs> Thank you. Badass renaissance woman, Dea. So uh, instead of me telling what little I know about you, uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us? You're, you're a filmmaker? I'm a filmmaker, yeah. Um, and you're a badass traveler. <laughs> um, I mean, you're I'm... A, a mountain climber? A rock climber? Yeah. Ro- I... Rock climber, hiker, runner, biker. I kind of grew up doing everything outside. So. Where'd you grow up? Um, not too far from here, actually. Oh, really? Like an hour northwest of here, outside of uh, Binghamton, Ithaca. Oh, you grew up in the Finger Lakes. Yeah, a little town called Newark Valley. It has one traffic light. Oh, I went to, I lived in Casanova in yeah, high school. Yeah. And I went to college in Geneva. Oh, okay. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Ithaca. Yeah. And uh, what was the town? Trumansburg. Trumansburg. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There was a place called this, the, the, what the fuck was it called? The Rungovian Embassy. There was this funky bar restaurant. It was like the only thing in Trumansburg. And my professor, who was a good friend of mine, lived essentially upstairs from it. And my best friend went to Cornell. Uh-huh. So I would hitchhike up and down that route a lot and yeah. stop in Trumansburg and hang with my friend. And we'd always have the potato leek soup at the Rungovian Embassy, and they'd have these funky bands playing. Sounds lovely. Yeah, it was really nice. Those were good days. Beautiful parks up there. Yeah. Waterfalls. Yeah. Buttermilk, Tunkanic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nice area. Okay, so you grew up there. See, I didn't know that. Here yeah. you go. All right. So you were up there, and you uh, were just spending a lot of time outdoors. You have like brothers and sisters. No, I have no siblings. Yeah. Um, so what took you outside? Um, just living in the woods. Right. <laughs> you just liked it. Just yeah. Knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of stick sounds on the boat. That's all right. It's atmosphere. Okay. <laughs> so we're actually on a boat. Um, here, I'm going to take a picture of you. I like to do this sometimes when I, when I remember. I'll take a picture of the guest while we're talking so people can actually see where we are. Okay, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. The picture is being taken. There it is. All right. So they'll see the, the pond. So we're here. I should just say what we're doing on this rowboat. Uh, we are here because we both know Josh Fox who owns this property and he's the writer director star of Gasland and Gasland 2 uh, which are about fracking Gasland was nominated for an Oscar if I understand Mm -hmm. uh, under what documentary category 
and uh, he owns this property here where he grew up right around here, right? Yep, His parents right. lived down the road. And it's fucking beautiful. And he has these really nice gatherings on holidays where a lot of his friends come up from the city, uh, people he knows from the world of theater and people have worked on his films and all that. And everyone just gets drunk around the fire and looks at the stars and it's fucking wonderful. Sing songs, go swimming in the pond. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. So that's that's where we are. And I met uh, Dea what, yesterday or the day before and uh, heard some of your adventures in your work and so it's like got to talk to this woman before she blows town um so okay you're you grew up in the woods you're like into activity outdoor activities and all that uh but you're also a filmmaker yes okay so let's talk about your filmmaking and then we'll talk about your adventures in latin sure. america a little bit okay so <coughs> what what kind of films do you make and how did you get into that um well i just produced uh, Josh's most recent film, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change. Right. Um, Which just that. came out on iTunes a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's been out for, what, six months? Uh, it premiered at Sundance in January, uh. and then it was theater, a couple of theaters in the spring, and we did a big, a big uh, community screening tour all mm. over the country. Um, and it's been on HBO all summer. Oh, okay. So it's been out there a little cool. bit now but yeah it's pretty, and what's the it's response been uh, great yeah Good. really great yeah um, it's it's I believe the only climate change film that has people dancing in the aisles of the theater by the end of the really film. yeah it starts with him dancing yeah. which is pretty cool yeah right in this house right was that yeah, the house? In this yeah. house yeah, yeah. So. i was sitting on the sofa yesterday and i looked up and i was like that's where he was dancing that's yeah, it yeah, yeah that's those cool. bookshelves yeah that's fantastic so, yeah it goes full circle and so what does it mean to produce a movie what, what does um, a producer do well in in this case in the case of a lot of documentaries it just means getting the film made whatever that means so in in our case um a lot of the time it was just a crew of two or or maybe three or four yeah you guys um, as josh said at dinner last night everyone does everything yeah so, so you're all shooting right. editing um logisticizing translating right. bringing people on the team to do different things um yeah, just everything. So an executive producer, sort of, they deal with the money. They're raising money and managing Usually. money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Producers more like hiring people, making arrangements. Um, so. Or yeah, I mean, in um, in more narrative in the narrative world and higher budget world, yeah, the producer kind of um, oversees the team and makes sure everybody's right. doing what they need to be doing um but in our world it, it's a lot of just doing the things right yeah which is great because yeah. then you you know how to do lots of different things and if you want to move on to other productions right yeah yeah but i'm not actually a producer i mean i i um i'm, I'm just a director all-around kind of filmmaker but um i felt like my producing skills weren't as strong and so i was kind of excited to to come on board this one and um 
hone them a bit. Yeah. Did you work on the on the Gasland films? No. Um, yeah. I, I had made a, a film about fracking um, before Josh and I started working together, and that's kind of how we met. We were both at um, Telluride Mountain Film together. He was screening Gasland, and my film Backyard was there. Um, and we had a lot of overlapping friends and contacts just being in that world. Um, so we, that's where we first hung out. And why? And got to know each Your other. Your film was called Backyard? <laughs> yeah. And, or is called Backyard. Mm -hmm. And where can people see that? Um, I have it on... It, it's, it's, it's mostly been used as a, as a tool for um, organizing um, it's been at a lot of festivals. It's you can see it online. Um, it, I have a link to it from my website, palebluemedia. Um, Palebluemedia.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's easy to remember. Yeah. That's good. And uh, okay, so was that your first film? Um, that was. I, I had done a, a bunch of films like in in grad school and as job for jobs working for for a lot of environmental nonprofits. Um, did you study film in grad school? I did, yeah. Where'd you go? Montana State. Montana State. That was Min Montana, yeah. The the Montana State what? What are they? The Buccaneers or something? Bobcats. The Bobcats. Uh, yeah. the Bobcats. Yeah, my favorite my favorite university team thing is probably the Yukon Huskies. Mm. You know, cuz yep. it's a joke. Right. Yukon. Right. I, I mean, I lived in Connecticut, <laughs> and I didn't get it for years. I was just like, oh, the Huskies. All right. And then, like, one day, somehow, I woke up and was like, oh, wait a minute. I get it. The Yukon. Yukon Huskies. That's funny. That is funny. I've never thought about that. There you go. Yeah. See, that's why I try to mention it. Cause, and I'm, I try to be polite about it, because most people will be like, oh, yeah, of course. But I can see, like, they didn't know either. Uh-huh. But, so I, I admire you for saying you didn't actually put it together and... That's that's nice. I haven't that's... thought a whole lot about mascots in general. <laughs> See, I don't know why. I have. I have a friend. I think maybe it's because of this friend of mine. In fact, oh, wait, it's all coming together. So this guy, he was a guy I knew in college. And uh, he and I, I went up to Alaska. I skipped my junior year of college and hitchhiked to Alaska from Geneva, upstate New York. Right. And um, then I went back, did my senior year graduated and he was like and I was planning to go back again and he was like can I come you know I was like all right so we ended up going together we drove across the country and then took the ferry up the inside passage and then we hitchhiked from Skagway up through the Yukon um, to Fairbanks and Kenai where we spent the summer and um, so I think it was in the Yukon with him probably camping out somewhere you know waiting to get a ride where I realize this thing like wait Yukon that's that's it's the Yukon Huskies right and he told me he grew up in a place called uh, Chappaqua uh, which is where the Clintons have a house Chappaqua New York it's uh, uh, okay. on the Hudson yeah like an hour north of the city mm -hmm. and um, Chappaqua was a as a town that was founded by Quakers so his high school were their team were the fighting Quakers <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Quakers are pacifists. Yeah. The fighting pacifists. Right. That's great. Yeah. All right. So that's it. That, that's all I'm <laughs> going to say about team 
team names. That's a good one, though. But I like it. I like when a team name has some sort of uh, ironic sensibility. Right. Because people take sports so fucking seriously. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes is uh, mm -hmm. from a football coach. And I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but for you new listeners, <laughs> I'm repeating myself for your benefit. Uh, this football coach, he was, he was like some legendary football coach, and, and uh, he was being interviewed, um, and they said, so what's the secret you know, to being a great coach? And he said, well, you have to understand the game. You have to be smart enough to understand the game really well but not smart enough to realize how little it all matters. Mm. Perfect. Isn't that great? Yep. It, it's applicable to anything. <laughs> you know, you want to be just smart enough to be good at this, uh -huh. but not smart enough to realize it's just, you're all going to die anyway, you know? <laughs> it's just a game. <laughs> it's all just a game, exactly. Uh, okay, so you went to Montana State, you studied film, and you were living out there. So that, that had to be good for your outdoor yeah. appetites. Or... Well, that was right after I did this Andy's oh, okay. ridiculousness after. that we'll get into. But um, right. So I, at that point, I was just craving community and friends and like being around people. Right. Um, and, and Bozeman was... Bozeman's a great town. Such a such an awesome little. It's a beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. That's just above Yellowstone, right? Yep. Yeah. I went through there my first year. The only time I've ever been to Montana was hitchhiking that first year to Alaska. Yeah. And I went to where's the big open pit mine? Oh, at Butte. Yeah. So I went to Butte, mm -hmm. and it was like this is horrible. Yeah. And they're really proud of this giant, yeah. massive mine, open mine they have there. Toxic pit. And I thought, yeah, I don't think I like Montana. And then I got a ride. And we, I think I spent the night in Bozeman, and it was like, this is this is a beautiful town. This, yeah. I like the people, I like the vibe, and the mountains, mm -hmm. the, everything. Right. Yeah, I should have just stopped there and <laughs> bought land. Yeah. Except I was penniless and stupid, so I didn't. But yeah, that was like 1983. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Bozeman, great town. Great town. Is it still a great town? Yes. It, it's been, like now it's kind of she-she, right? It's like Aspenized? Uh, it's def. I mean, it's it's getting it's going in that direction for sure. Like Robert Redford owns a ranch up there. Yeah, the what? Paradise Valley is like where all the famous people have their big ranches. Oh, okay. Um, which is on the way down to Yellowstone. It's gorgeous. Um, so I understand why they would want to hang out there. Yeah. Um, it's good when rich people have taste. I mean, people bitch about it, but I think. I admire it, you know, like I've got this friend Andrew Weil, who's a famous doctor, like, you know, he's on the cover of Time magazine and uh -huh. all that. He's fucking rich. There's like an Andrew Weil line of cosmetics and, you know, huh. he's got all these, these all these best-selling books and everything. And we went to visit him. He's got a house up in uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. I went to visit him and, you know, you see somebody, some rich person, they've got this house and land and all that. And, you, you know, you generally are looking for things that they've done wrong. So you can sort of reassure yourself that you would do something better. There's nothing. I, I, I wouldn't change anything. Like if I somehow could buy there, if he left me his house or something, mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't change the sheets on the bed. It was like everything is absolutely perfect. Good job. Good job, Andrew. And I, I imagine Robert Redford's like that. I'll bet he's got a really nice place. Yeah. Yeah, not tacky, you know, right. like Trump. Trump's the opposite extreme. Mm -hmm. Like, you got all that money and you're such, you're like, you don't get anything. Want it. Yeah. 
Well, flaunt it in a way that makes you look stupid. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Anyway, okay, so, <laughs> see, that's why this is called tangentially speaking. Right. You starting to get the idea? I got it. Right. Like, I like it. You don't have to be nervous. I'll do all the talking. That's perfect. <laughs> all right, so, uh, so you studied film there, and your intention was to get into do documentaries or features? Yeah, or documentaries. What? Documentaries, straight um, up. I'd spent years as do doing environmental education, outdoor education kind of stuff, but also... Um, my undergrad, I, I did two separate degrees, basically, because I couldn't, I wanted to do multiple things, and mm. I couldn't Where'd you do your undergrad? One. Washington University in St. Louis. Uh -huh. So I did visual communications, a lot of design, animation, illustration stuff, and uh -huh. then I did earth and planetary science, um, focusing on sustainability and environmental sciences. And um, So I'd always kind of wanted to combine those things somehow, art and and um, environmental science. Um, and for a lot of years, I just kind of did those things concurrently. Like I'd, I did a lot of teaching, but then I also did design illustration work on the side and just kind of had these parallel So you say careers. teaching, were you doing like knolls or uh, um, or I, something? A lot of it was um, like uh, e either summer programs for kids, mm. um, or, or working at facility in the mountains where kids would come for like school field trips, right. um, and they, we would do science lab kind of stuff in the woods and go on hikes and um, teach them about all sorts of, you know, nature walks, yeah. uh, <laughs> geology and and um, stream systems and. Um, invertebrates and that must all be, the, all that must be great yeah it's fantastic and it, I got to work with you know from kindergarten through college um, age kids m the majority of it being middle school junior high kind of age kids right um, yeah it was fantastic really fun um, and it's so nice I taught high school for a little while and uh, I loved being with the kids, but I hate I hated being in that environment with those kids. Yeah. Because you're constantly trying to make them not do what they want to do. Right. But when you're in the woods, right. it's like that's where they want to be. That's exactly Even if they don't know it. Yeah. You know? Even if they're scared because they grew uh -huh. up in the city, it's like it's like setting an animal free from yeah. its cage, you yeah. know? I mean, that seems to me like that would have been so satisfying. Yeah. It was really rewarding and... A great time and then um, I moved into wilderness therapy from uh, there wilderness therapy tell yeah. us about that what, what is that um, it's it basically like kid, kids with all sorts of issues right. um, like behavioral behavioral emotional like a, a lot of these are kids were um, like they would come to this program instead of going to an adjudicated kind of right. program um, a lot of them had drug issues or were suicidal or um, in a lot of cases it was like the, the parents um, wanting to save their kid basically yeah. um, so the, the idea is take the kid out of their normal context right. and um you get kids kinda, with drug problems yeah 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 like meth withdrawal and just crazy 
yeah, really, really challenging stuff. Um, but put them in a setting that um, is both humbling and empowering. Right. Um, and and develop bonds with other kids going through similar things, and Fuck. and um, just just give them a, a context in which they can um, heal and and grow and learn about themselves and what they're really capable of and who they really are. That must have been amazing. It was incredible. How long did you do that? Um, a little over a year. And um, you, now you don't have any training in psychology or any of that? Not formal training, but right. I, I mean, I'm, have, there's a, there's a reason that I was drawn to that job. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've done a lot of my own reading. Um, and Did you we have were, a traumatic childhood? Not, uh, so, <laughs> um, my, I, I'm an only kid. My parents are amazing, wonderful people. Um, like I, the, I grew up in a lovely little rural town with woods around, like everything was, um, on paper. <laughs> It's really lovely and perfect. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna. Yeah, don't, don't get talk into, about anything uh, you're uncomfortable with. But there, there's, there's, you know, there's some shit that. Yeah. That I knew I had to deal with. Um, All childhoods are traumatic in some way. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I, I, I kind of knew that um, I would learn what I needed to from this job. Right. Um, and I, I mean, it was, it rocked my world. Absolutely. Because yeah. yeah. um, you're connecting with, I, I mean, the job as I envision it is like, you you need to be so honest. Oh yeah. Because you're asking them to be really honest. Yeah. And they know if you're full of shit or not. Oh, totally. And you're out there in the middle of nowhere sitting around a fire talking. Yep. And like, you better, you better be as real as you're asking them to be, right? Exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to model um, being completely authentic and, and open and present and honest and yeah. Um, yeah. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and at the same time, um, be fully there for the kids and be you know you are their support you are there to hold this space for them right. to be able to do that right you can't be like freaking out yeah so so um there's no room to to like bury anything because they'll pick up on that but you also can't be dealing with your own shit while you're holding theirs so right. it's just like this um this really challenging balance of like shelving right things but being fully aware of them um and just saying constantly like i'll, I'll come back to you like right. just chill here for a minute um because i've got this kid freaking out and um yeah it, it was like it was 24 7 just being um super present for for this group of kids that How really needed you um, they, it ranged depending on the 
the needs of the kids from like f four to ten. And you're the only adult. There's two. There's two, two field instructor. Well, at least two field instructors. Sometimes we had three, um, and then at times the um, therapeutic staff would come out into the field with us, um, and we'd do like more intense therapeutic workings out in the field and. So the kids are back at uh, whatever base camp or whatever the, the facility is. They're doing group therapy, more sort of traditional psychological interventions and all that. Mm -hmm. And then they would go out with you guys for a couple of days. A couple, few weeks. Oh, a few weeks. Yeah. And wh where was this? Uh, it was based in Colorado, in uh -huh. Georgetown, Colorado. But we, I mean, we we did a fair amount in the mountains around around there. But in the winter, we would go to uh, New Mexico, Arizona, mm -hmm. Utah. And you'd be in the mountains for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so you're packing in all your shit. Oh yeah, everything. So I mean, th so they were really learning how to be self-sufficient and right. and also knew that at any point, like they could after the program they they would have everything they needed you know in their pack if if they needed to just get away yeah yeah and some of them did need to do that because yeah. they there's a reason that they were in the situations they were in i imagine that would be my wife's a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and you know she has worked with all sorts of people and different things and and for her, she's often said, like, the most painful is working with kids who you really connect with them mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you can see, like, they get it and they, they, they're really trying, they're thinking, and then you have to send them back to the environment that hurt them so badly in the first place. Yeah. You know, dysfunctional family, fucked up neighborhood, gangs, uh -huh. whatever. Yeah. I mean, God, that must break your heart, you know? Because uh -huh. in two weeks, you get to know these guys really well. Oh, I mean, the, the kids would be there between, like, one month and six months. So we'd come back shift after shift to the same, same kids right. and um, just see their whole transition. Right. Yeah, it was really powerful. Um, do you want to say the name of the company you work for? Would you recommend it to people who are listening to yeah, this? Yeah, I don't... Well, I don't think that they're still... Um, I, I think the owner's of the program have ch changed what they're doing and doing more like independent counseling uh -huh. kind of thing. So I don't think it's an operation anymore. It was, when I started working there, it was Trailhead Wilderness School. Um, and then they changed the name to Monarch Center for Family Healing. Because yeah. um, one of the things that I love about the, the program I worked with is that they they wouldn't just accept kids without the families committing to doing work also oh nice so every few weeks the the families or the whatever the the, the guardians whoever the kids were were living with would have to come and do work with the, some with the kids some without the kids oh, um, good. so that alleviates some of that issue I'm yeah, talking about. yeah yeah um and it it yeah they they didn't want any of the the mentality of like just send the kids away to get fixed and come back like right it, it was it was really dealing with the whole um their whole situation um and that was incredibly powerful um so yeah, yeah. cool all right so you did that for a year did that a little over a year um and that is a 
that's where the Andes came out of. Because um, my partner at the time and I were, were both working in, at, you know, we were both instructors at, in, for this program. Um, we were both completely burned out. Um, I knew that we needed just kind of a break and to space to deal with all the things that were piling up on the shelves about um, your own experience yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, like we basically needed our own wilderness therapy right um, after that and he had done the, um, the Appalachian Trail yeah. and I mean we had been backpacking for a living now for over a year and so we were we were thinking about um, doing a long hike um, and, and started researching trails and then started researching other mountain ranges we could go explore that weren't necessarily long trails. Um, and we just started reading up on the Andes. We both spoke some Spanish um, and thought that that looks pretty, <laughs> pretty fantastic. <laughs> um, and it we knew uh, it would be pretty cheap, um, especially in the northern half of of the continent, um, Peru and Bolivia and Ecuador. That that the cost of living is pretty pretty cheap, and we we had saved some money because um, we lived, you know, working for the the program. We lived in staff housing and we were fed on the job, mm. dehydrated <laughs> food. Right. Um, so our expenses were super minimal, um, and then likewise, like we knew that living, backpacking in in South America, we could we could live super cheaply. Right. Um, so we kind of just went. Um, <laughs> so you bought a ticket from where? From Denver to Quito or something? Uh, pretty. I mean, we uh, we we did spend some time prepping as much as we could um and we yeah eventually we we left from florida that's where the cheapest flights Miami, were right, yeah. yeah um yeah into quito and yeah we had no idea what we were getting into <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 okay so i mean uh, Let's just frame this a little bit. You, in the end, you ended up, the two of you ended up walking the entire length, basically, of South America, from Quito to yeah. Tierra del well, Fuego. From the equator to the southern tip. From of, the equator. Yeah, we, we um, didn't want to hike through the mountains in Colombia, because uh, the FARC right. was super active at that point. And, right. Um, and we weren't we weren't interested in walking on highways and that's what we would have had to do in Colombia to, to not get kidnapped. To not get kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we decided we'll, we'd just make a clean line of it and right. start at the equator and <laughs> no, no line cleaner than that. Right. Is so, okay. So you started at the equator, which is in Ecuador mm -hmm. and I mean, is there like, is it like the Appalachian Trail? Is there a trail you follow or are you just like patching it together from village to village? Oh, it was, there's not, there's definitely not a trail. So, <laughs> Latin America is not known for its clearly defined. No. And you know, because the, the 
mountain chain runs north-south, right. the majority of the valleys draining the mountains run east-west. Right. So, so, so hiking north-south is not, um, it's not the most intuitive uh, direction of travel. Um, right. So yeah. you're following like ancient Inca <laughs> trails, I imagine. Yeah, a lot of it was. Yeah. That must have been trippy, like yeah. walking along, like this trail's been here 3,000 years or something. Yeah, know? yeah, and just stumbling upon ruins and, like, literally stumbling <laughs> upon ruins. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, so tell me about the, like, the first couple of days. So you're, you're walking out of, like, what's the town where the whole, where you actually, you're like, now we're on this trip? Papayakta. 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 And that's up on the mountains? Up Are you mountains acclimated of... at this point? You, like, spend no, a while? Uh, altitude? And... We were not. We, we, plan, we planned to spend some time in Quito, you know, getting our Spanish brushed off. Um, we, were, we were both pretty rusty at that point. Um, and doing some more research once we were down there and getting maps at the National Library. and um, But we... I mean, cities are way more expensive than being yeah. up in the mountains, and um, so we we ended up taking off pretty quickly. Um, so, and we realized that there wasn't, there just wasn't much prep we could do. There wasn't a mm. whole lot of information. There wasn't. Right. There's not. Yeah, it's <laughs> not like in the U.S. where you would like go to an REI and like buy everything. Right. Yeah, you just got to get shit on the way, right? You got to yeah. buy stuff from local people. And, right. And there's yeah. no dehydrated, you know, yeah. camping gear. No. Yeah. You just have to kind of make, yeah. So you got survive. you have a tent. So we did, yeah. You have a tent, sleeping bags, thermal mm -hmm. rest or something. Yep. And uh, and you start walking. Yeah. So you walk out of the village and you're telling people like, oh, at that point, <laughs> were you, where were you thinking you were walking to? Um... So we we thought we'd walk as much of the Andes as made sense. Like we knew, we thought we knew at this point that we were going to skip over the Atacama Desert in right. northern Chile. The driest place yeah, on earth. Yeah, right. It's probably a good idea. Right. We figured there's no way we can hike across that. So we'll just we'll just do the sections that we feel like doing. Right. Um, so it wasn't like, yeah, we're going to set a record or we're going to no. walk the entire length. Of, you weren't setting out to do that. No. Right. No. We, I mean, it was very much just um, for for both of us to like, um, I, was in a, I was in a pretty bad place at that time, mentally. Um, so I was just really looking forward to, to that time and space to, um, to, process a bunch of stuff and, and deal and um, and also I mean we were we were both very environmentally minded folks and we're excited to learn about um, li living sustainably and um, knew that we would learn a ton from from people that had been you know living it never the same stopped way yeah. for for centuries yeah um, so yeah we were excited to learn and Okay, so you walk out of what is it? Papayakta. 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 And um. you just you're walking on some <laughs> old trail, and like, do you remember that day? Do you remember oh, the yeah. feeling of walking out of town? Uh huh. Um. Yeah. Uh, uh, very much. Um, 
overwhelmed by this sense of what are we doing? What, what are we getting into? Because <laughs> those mountains, for people who have never been to the Andes, I think second only to the Himalaya, they're incredibly hardcore mountains. Yeah. I mean, those are snow-capped, yeah. glaciated. Yeah. Like, this Above isn't 20, this isn't Vermont we're talking right, about here. Right, <laughs> I mean, those are really... And you're... So how high up is Papayakta? Papayakta was... Um, I think it's around 15... 15,000 feet. Yeah. Like, what's the highest mountain in the continental United States? 16? Is it like Pikes Peak or something? Is, it's, it's 14. 14. So you're high, you're 1,000 feet higher than the highest mountain in the continental United States. Yeah. When you're starting when off. Starting. When you're leaving town. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we're looking like, out at these volcanoes that are rising several <laughs> way thousand above feet you. above that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> So you're walking into that. Yeah. Also, a culture you don't know. Right. You don't know if they're like guys with machetes who are going to like, you don't, there's mm -hmm. no like campground, you know, it's right. not like, no. you're just walking into the unknown. Yeah. And, and people were looking at <laughs> us crazy like, crazy woman. What the, f <laughs> exactly. what is this? Because <laughs> there, there weren't other hikers. No, or no. <laughs> And why would you? Like what? <laughs> yeah. What time of year is this? Um, it was, I think we set out on July 4th, or July 5th. July 5th, we walked out of town. Nice. Um, yeah, but it was... How I mean, heavy was your pack? Um, at that point... You were a pro, though. I, well, I'm thinking of me. I always start off like I've yeah. never done that kind of trip, but generally my my pack loses half its weight, yeah. you know, over the first couple of months, right? Because so. you really because I throw shit away or I get robbed yeah. and I don't replace right. it, and right. it's like, you oh, thank you, thief. Yeah, I didn't need that water pump and you know, like <laughs> right. all this shit I'm carrying around. Yeah, yeah, um, and we did too. I mean, we didn't know how much of it would be. Like we were, we were carrying crampons at the beginning, and um, a lot of stuff we didn't end up needing, um, just because we had no idea what the conditions would be. Right. Um, so there were it was probably fifty some. Yeah. Pounds. Yeah. So you're walking out. You're looking at these incredible volcanoes. You're you've got to be feeling exhilarated as hell. Scared. Terrified. Yeah. <laughs> And do you remember the first night where you camped? Um, yeah, yeah. In the, the, I mean, it was like it was kind of an altiplano, high pampa kind of thing with um, Antisana, a huge volcano, uh -huh. um, you know, in the background. <laughs> and are people coming along the trail, or are you sort no, of just on your own? We were pretty, we were pretty much on our own. We we've ran into a few people in that first week um there were like haciendas like um ranch kind of outposts uh llama farms <laughs> um up in the mountains and you know we saw a handful of people um out herding goats sheep up there but for the most part it was just us do you have any coca leaf yeah Further south, um, in in Peru, there was, yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, that's helpful at high altitude. Yeah. Didn't work for you. I just couldn't. I I 
but that by that point we were pretty acclimated uh, and yeah. so many of the people <laughs> i like you say coca leaf in my the image in my head is is just like one of the old gaucho guys that has been chewing coca leaves like non-stop for 50 years and just has it like caked in his teeth and um so it, it wasn't a super appealing <laughs> prospect <laughs> it's apparently good for your teeth yeah yeah i mean it's probably not beautiful but <laughs> right apparently it's new i've never tried it i've never had coca leaf but uh it's pretty bitter yeah and you have to mix it with lime i guess to break it down like so you put like lime and you wrap it in a ball and then stick it in your mouth and the saliva soaks it and, yeah yeah um okay so you're so i mean we're not obviously we're not going to be able to cover like you know <laughs> every day so what was the second day right. like you know <laughs> But uh, but the first day of trips are really interesting to uh -huh. me, you know, because and you're confirming it. You remember it. Like, oh, yeah. All the days. Like, how many days did you end up walking? Six hundred sixty-seven. Six hundred and sixty-seven <laughs> days. Yeah. Wow. One more than the sign of the devil. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just had to add that last day. Let's just slow down so we don't end on six 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 here. That omen. <laughs> yeah. Um, six hundred. So that's two years. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And and though we didn't set out to walk the whole thing, we did because we were, I don't know, I, stubborn's not the right word, but um, just didn't want to come home. Um, we just like I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a purist in that I need to do things just to say that I've done them. Um, but we were both, for whatever reason, once we started, driven to to see it through and mm. do the whole thing. Right. Um, so we we made some modifications along the way, like the middle third of it. The middle third of the the hike we did um, south to north, so we took a bus down to Santiago. We, the the sort of it is we were um, in the the high Andes in the the winter, like freezing cold, rainy season, um, and it was just miserable. Like we, it was just days and days and days, and we not. Nothing would dry out, and it was yeah, that's the worst. waking up with like frozen, wet, everything, and um, and we just said, "This isn't fun. Yeah. Why are we? Why are we doing this yeah. like this way?" And you so, guys are sharing a tent. Yeah, yeah. That'll fuck up a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we decided, why don't we just like hike with the seasons and do this section backwards right so we took a bus down and started hiking back up so you took the bus from where from um central peru like we were in the cordillera blanca at that point down to santiago and then yeah from there we hiked back up um and knew exactly for that section where we were going back to and the, right. we could picture the town and <laughs> so we had that as our you'd been there yeah how long was the bus ride um, 
uh, I feel like it was like through the night and better part of a couple days. It's all it's all <laughs> yeah. just blurry and yeah. But it's funny because I'm imagining you on the bus mm-hmm. and you know hour and hour and hour and the sun comes up and the sun goes down <laughs> and you and the whole time you're aware of the fact that you need to walk this amount. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like every mile that rolls by outside the window, you're aware that you've got to walk <laughs> that mile. Yeah. And a lot more and, than that. And not on the road. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so you get to Santiago and you, you hang, and I hope you hang in Santiago, take showers and like... Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, get the fungus out of your toes or whatever. <laughs> and yeah. And then you set off going north from right. Santiago. Right, wow. It's like sunny and clear and cruising and so how many miles like what average 10 miles a day something like that i think average was in the high teens oh really yeah even through the mountains that's that's yeah well i mean there were there were days that we would get a mile yeah hiking for 12 hours because it was all bushwhacking and scrambling bushwhacking that must have been horrible yeah but then other days like on the altiplano we could just (laughs) Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hope I didn't blow anyone's ear, <laughs> ear drums out there. Um, the, yeah, there were other days um, that we could just cruise and do thirty some miles and mm. um, just cover a ton of ground. So, so at what yeah. point then? Josh mentioned that you were a National Geographic explorer. I don't know what that is, but it's really impressive. <laughs> um, it's we. National Geographic Adventure of the Year. Oh, Adventure of the Year. Yeah. Oh, that's even better. So they got wind of this um, after we had finished um, the hike and gone back to the U.S. and started uh, the next chapter of our lives. Um, they got wind of it through Conrad Anker, actually. Oh, right. Near, right. Um, well, how who, did he know? Well, he lived in Bozeman. Ah. So we... When we moved there, we moved in with a friend of mine, um, who you know, it's just, it's a it's not a big town, and we lived a few blocks away from Conrad Anchor, and so Greg um, Trinish, who was my partner, um, found out Conrad lived near nearby, and asked him if he wanted to meet up for coffee, just because that's the kind of person Greg is. Um, so we got coffee with Conrad Anchor, and because that's the kind of person Conrad is, that's pretty cool that he said yes. Absolutely. And this, this is one of the most famous mountaineers in the yeah. world, right? Yeah. He's summited he's, Everest. He's taken people. And oh, he's he's yeah. very well known. He's amazing, yeah. um, and humble as all hell, and that's just great. Um, yeah, really sweet guy. Um, and he happened to be on the board or panel or whatever of, of people. Um, deciding, who, you know, who would be national, be adventurers of, of the year for that year. Um, what year was that? Th- that was 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, I, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but we got word that we were being considered for, for one of these honors. Um, at that point they did it like by kind of by topic so we got the award for culture but then there was one for like adrenaline one for human rights one for 
um, you know, a few different, a few different categories. Um, and they never actually told us, like, congratulations, you've, you've been honored with this thing. They, they just said, um, how do these dates work for you guys to come out for the, the award ceremony? To DC. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so that's how we found out. We were very confused. It, so you didn't know you'd won. Like you thought maybe it was just there to for the ceremony, see who wins or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, they they could work on that a little bit. <laughs> um, so did they fly you out, or yeah. you supposed to? Okay, so no, they, they flew, flew you out to out. DC. It was this very fancy to do, and yeah, it was wild. Um, and like at at this point, our minds were still very much. Um, just scraping by, you know, at the it, at the end of the trip, we were, you know, taking taking food that people had left on their tables at restaurants, um, sleeping in alleys. Like we had nothing. Really. <laughs> um, yeah, we were just. How how did you finance the trip? Because <clears throat> you you said you had like two thousand dollars or something when you set off. Um, he spent 700 on the ticket. <laughs> so th how does that last two years? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we sc scraped. We really scraped. Um, you weren't making any money. You weren't smuggling Coke or something along the way. <laughs> no. Mulein. Uh, we tried to get um, some articles published to help pay for the end of the trip. And we, we did, but n we didn't see any, any of the money until we got back. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the end of it we, we was on credit, really. Um, but also just living super cheaply. We, we were basically homeless. <laughs> right. Um, so, so then when National Geographic was flying us around and putting us up in these fancy <laughs> hotels, and yeah. it was just a mind fuck. <laughs> and we, we yeah. did um, we funny. did some public public speaking lectures for them through them for a little bit afterwards and we had done a couple um and mentioned to someone at, that we were working with at geographic like is there is there anywhere around here that we can find something to eat that's a little cheaper because they would put us up in these beautiful like fancy places and everything around there was really expensive and and we just weren't eating because we couldn't afford the the restaurants around there and and she so this woman we were working with like paused and she was like, well, you guys know you have a per diem, right? Like you, you can, <laughs> you don't have to find gas station food. Like you can, <laughs> we'll cover. So it was just this whole different, yeah, like different way of living. So yeah. It's like you won an award for like being the best homeless people or something. Yeah, like, right. Know, Congratulations. <laughs> You you were homeless in the most exotic, <laughs> interesting way possible. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, here's room service. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're in D.C. You win this award. You're like, like. So what? What are your parents thinking about all this? Uh, well, at the beginning, they were freaking out. I'll bet. Um, they knew your your partner. Yeah, not well. Yeah. I mean, we had been working together for a while. Right. Um, but, yeah, your daughter's walking off into, right. like, 
terra incognito that's yeah yeah that's pretty rough yeah um but once once we got down there and and they saw how how often we were able to stay in touch like there were internet cafes all over the place oh, okay um so we could we could email and say like we'll be back in a town um in this many days and and then you know enough times of them hearing from us when we said they'd hear from us like right. they started to to relax and, right. and see that we were, it wasn't really like we were going to be out in the middle of nowhere for two years and right. without word so yeah. then they yeah parents are funny yeah. i mean I, I i have so much compassion for the shit i put my parents mm -hmm. through you know mm -hmm. and it, but it's just so funny like I'll be in India and there will be a bus crash that my mom will read about and she'll be like oh my god are you all right like, yeah there are 800 million people here mom yeah. <laughs> I wasn't on that particular bus yeah uh and th but th and then she feels so much better when I'm in America right which is like the most dangerous place mm -hmm. I'm ever going to be yeah but knowing that I'm on this continent somehow comforts her it's yep. so strange yeah yeah. So, uh, okay. So, so, what about like crazy shit? Did you guys get robbed? Yep. How many times? Um. <laughs> a handful. Um. A couple times we had things stolen from us, but we didn't. Um. Yeah, only once we were assaulted, and that was in Lima. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 every every incident that we had was in a major city. Uh, um, nothing on the trail? Nothing on the trail. Really? That's interesting. Which is where most people would feel most vulnerable, right. including me. I, yeah. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Someone can just come and you yep. know hack you up and take everything, yep. and you can't do shit. Yeah, but that's and there are nothing. People, everybody has machetes. Right. Um, no people in the mountains and and out um, were. I mean, every hundred percent of the time, just kind and lovely. Yeah. And weird. tells you something about cities. Tells you something about civilization. Yeah. The kind yeah. of, I mean, I. I've been saying at this party, you know, this book I just wrote, one of the key points in the book is that the cage makes the rat. Mm. The kind of cage mm -hmm. that the rat lives in determines the kind of behavior that you're going to get from that rat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's so true of humans. I think we're the most, you know, responsive to our environment. Yeah. 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 yeah and it's true. People in, in the mountains, even, you know, wherever you are in nepal or to whatever part of the world that there's they need each other yeah so they're good to each other right in the city i don't know you fuck you mm -hmm. you know i don't need you yeah yeah so i can i can shit here and you know no one will do anything because no one will know it was me i'll be gone and, mm -hmm. but in the mountains everyone will know what you do yeah, yeah. and I mean, money has very little value hmm. when you're living off the land and you have everything you need mm. um yeah what are you gonna steal yeah who are you gonna sell it to uh -huh. yeah and also what do you guys have you got like right. an old beat up tent <laughs> like damn yeah. disgusting socks and right we, we were pretty gross yeah 
So what about like crazy weather situations? Were, the, you, were you ever like in your tent thinking tonight I'm gonna die? Yeah. <laughs> like lightning strikes and or or not in our tent because the tent was destroyed by uh high winds oh. um yeah we had every kind of situation tell me about like what storm. what comes to your mind like when you're lying in bed at night and you want to freak yourself out what do you remember um well there was the night on the we were trying to get over this shoulder of vault i think it was Volcan Lanin um, in like northern Patagonia and we just couldn't couldn't make it over by the by the time it was dark and there was a storm rolling in so we ended up setting up camp um, on the you know on the side of this volcano and in the ash and um, with super high winds yeah. roaring through and we were we couldn't get the tent set up um before the high winds like caught the you know fabric of the tent like a sail and and uh ended up bending the tent poles until they cracked and so we just had yeah and, the, and then the cracked poles like ripped the the rain fly and um so we're there on with like this volcanic ash blowing all around in our eyes and we're trying to to take cover from it in these shreds of our tent and um and yeah and that's how we spent the night just, just cowering <laughs> like, in, in this flapping yeah. remains of your tent yeah holy shit was it raining i don't even remember um, so you're in your sleeping bags, just like, fuck, yeah, yeah. fuck, uh -huh. holding onto your backpack holding so they don't it. blow away. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did the wind stop by morning? Yeah. Um, it was a very long night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And I think, I think by the time the sun came up, we were just just excited to get moving and to not be dead not be, yeah freezing <laughs> we're not dead <laughs> so so and then what like you, your tent's destroyed our tent was destroyed and, and so, how many days till you're going to be somewhere where you can get a tent not too many um and in patagonia because there's so, um there's so much hurting in the area there's all these like little um shelters that oh, are just kind right. of communal like right um you, every day we would pass like a handful of these little um not really well it's are they for the animals or, or for the no, herders for the, for the herders yeah, right um some of them would have a, a stove in them and oh that's perfect um, so like refuge kind of things, yeah yeah exactly refuge. yeah so so uh we made it we made it through a few more days just finding some of those and and then uh that's when we got our tent sponsorship because we called <laughs> we called up some t tent companies and said so this is what we're doing and this is what just happened and um are you interested in you know coming on board as a sponsor really and, and then you and they said yes and you're like why the fuck didn't we think of this in ecuador <laughs> no but we did we oh, did. did we wrote letters to all these companies saying this is what we're gonna do oh. we're looking for sponsorships and 
you know, there were two companies, like, nobody got back to us. And they're like, like sure, yeah, sure, sure you are. Do it. Yeah. 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 But then once we were actually down there doing it, and, like... Did you have a blog that you were keeping up yeah, or something? Yeah. Okay. So there was a place they could look to see that, like, you were legit. Right, right, yeah. So is the blog still online? Yeah, acrossteandes.com, and... You got some good URLs. I know. Acrossteandes.com. Yeah. I can't believe that wasn't taken. Yeah. Yeah. This was 2006 when we left. Oh. So, uh, All right. So people yeah. can can still access yeah. it and see your day-to-day travails? Um, well, every, I would say every couple, couple few weeks we would, we would post. By the way, travail comes from the same root as travel. Hmm. That makes sense. That. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, acrosstheandes.com. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 quite outdated now, but that's all right. A lot of it's still up there. A lot yeah. of the photos and journal entries and stuff. Right. Um, okay, so you got a new tent. They shipped it down to you. Yeah. Who, who was it? Let's give Sierra them a shout Designs. out. Okay, Sierra Designs. Sierra Designs. Good work. Sierra yeah. Designs. Thank They're you. They're fantastic to us. Isn't who was it? Did you see Wild? Uh, no, I read it. I haven't watched there, it yet. There's a scene, and I didn't read it, but there's a scene in the film, I imagine it's from the book, where she, I think it was like her boots, she was mm-hmm. she was doing something with her feet and her boot fell off yeah. the mountain, yeah. and then she hobbles down uh-huh. and calls the company, and they're like, let us, you know, send you boots and, and like a new backpack and whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what the company was, but I remember it was like fucking product placement like <laughs> yeah you know whoever made that decision to help her out is yeah. now like in a feature film uh-huh. and you know it's yeah best money best you know hundred bucks that company ever spent exactly yeah yeah so we want to encourage that so thank you sierra designs you make great thank tents you, designs i, I yeah. love i i was last night talking with a guy helping him set up his tent and we both agreed like you know, this whole crowd here is anti-consumerist. This, mm-hmm. You know, I think we mentioned it's like all Paula, it's all Bernie Sanders people mm-hmm. and environmentalists and like everybody's like green, as green as you can get. Mm-hmm. And both of us were like, yeah, except when it comes to camping gear. Well, it's no, it's the same. It's the same mentality, though, because if you buy really great quality stuff you're minimizing you're yeah yeah, you're minimizing waste for sure yeah because you'll buy one and it'll last years and years and years yeah Yeah. Um, no there's no doubt i mean i i've got all those justifications well worked out yeah but there's still i take a lot of pleasure buying yeah i mean i could the emotion yeah i'm like you know, like Ivana Trump in a shoe store. I could, I could have like twenty tents. <laughs> yeah. I'd be very happy. No, I got you. I've got like nine hammocks. Yeah. No guy, nobody needs nine <laughs> hammocks. You know, and I and there's another one I've got my eye on, <laughs> which is a camping hammock with a rain fly uh-huh. and, a, and yeah. a mosquito net integrated, mm-hmm. and it's got a pocket you can slip your sleeping pad into so yeah. your back doesn't get cold. Yeah. I gotta have that. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, everyone's gotta have yeah. that because when the apocalypse comes, you want to be <laughs> right. comfortable. Right. You know? <laughs> and off the, off the, you know, sea off the ground, sodden ground. Exactly. You gotta. Um, but yeah, tents. I love tents. Yeah. Uh, sleeping bags, like all that kind of like. I think the best feeling, probably I've ever had in life outside of sex, has been sleeping like being in a tent Mm -hmm. when it's raining in alaska and it's fucking cold Uh it's like miserable 
a foot away from where yeah. I am, but I am warm. Mm -hmm. I've got some music. Mm -hmm. I've got a bottle of wine. I got a little bag of mushrooms. Yeah. I got a, <laughs> some nuts and some salami and whatever. And I'm just like the cleverest <laughs> motherfucker on earth, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's like, that's, I just feel like a fucking genius, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure when you really know your shit and you can like, Put yourself in that situation because you made a lean-to out of what you found in the woods you mm -hmm. know which when you think about it that's like a daily experience for hunter-gatherers mm -hmm. they know their world so well they don't need to carry a tent oh yeah. it's gonna rain well give me 15 minutes i'll build a shelter mm -hmm. out of this shit that's just lying around yeah and i'll be as comfortable as you mr north face you know <laughs> Well, I don't know about as comfortable. Well, see, that, now that gets into some interesting stuff because I'm going to be interviewing Wim Hof soon, uh -huh. the, the Iceman. Have you ever heard of him? Just from you. Okay. So one of the things I want to talk to him about is like these capacities that he's developed to withstand temperatures and, and you know, very cold temperatures. Yeah. I think that what he's done is he has reawakened an ability that's latent in all of us uh -huh. that hunter-gatherers are very uh, attuned to so that comfort is this is a very subjective it's Absolutely. the most subjective Absolutely. thing probably right yep. so when you say well he's not as comfortable as you are in your down sleeping bag and all that you're right I'm sure on some sort of objective level but in terms of how he feels right. and how I feel yes exactly he's probably every bit as comfortable right. as I am if because I'm much more likely to be uncomfortable I'm more attuned to discomfort right. than he is yeah you know? Absolutely. yeah yeah it's comfort is a strange concept I've been thinking about it a lot recently I bet yeah I, I stayed I've got some friends in LA I'd stay at their place sometimes when I'm there and they're quite wealthy and, uh -huh. and but really cool people and they've got this um this uh, guest house uh -huh. I, and pardon me audience if I've said the story I can't remember if I told the story on the podcast or not but I think about it a lot um, last time I was there the woman said to me um, hey let me tomorrow tell me how you like that bed because we we got ourselves this new bed someone told us about it it's like this incredible top-of-the-line amazing four thousand dollar bed you know like some new <laughs> latex technology I don't know mm -hmm. and um, and so uh, I go up there and I, I think I had some wine at dinner or whatever and I get in the bed and I fall asleep and I wake up and I go down for breakfast she says so what'd you think of the bed and I was like oh the bed um, and I realized like I didn't think anything about it because I just fell asleep and then I woke up and I took a shower and so and I guess that's what you want in a bed right but is that comfort? That's, it is. It's lack of discomfort. That's it. So, and, and I think the reason that struck me was that I had recently read a book called Anti-Fragile by Nicholas uh, Talib. you know? I know, but I love that title. Yeah, it's a great title. And the concept of the book is, he says, um, you know, if I say to you, uh, you know, imagine something fragile. You might imagine a wine glass in a in a box, and you shake the box, and the glass is going to shatter, right? So that's that's our definition of fragility. Right. 
And then I say, imagine something anti-fragile, and you might think of a rock in a box, and you shake it and nothing happens, okay? Mm -hmm. But what it, the really brilliant point he makes is that that is not the opposite of fragile. That's stable. The opposite of fragile is something in that box that the more you shake it, the stronger it gets, right? Yeah. So you've got like, you know, positive 10 and zero. But zero is not the opposite of positive 10. Negative 10 is the opposite. Mm -hmm. But we are only looking at half the spectrum, yeah. right? So he talks about that in terms of systems and societies and, you know, that there are some relationships that the more they're challenged, the stronger they get. Yeah. Right? Some, right. you know, or, or people. People like, you are anti-fragile. Some people are. Yeah. Right? People Up to are. a point. Yeah. Um, you know, the what is it, Nietzsche, the what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, uh -huh. right? Yeah. yeah although to a point. <laughs> what doesn't kill you can <laughs> fuck you up and yeah. make you miserable and sick. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ideally, we people can and should be anti-fragile. Um, so I was thinking about that in terms of comfort, mm -hmm. right? Like there's, com there's discomfort. We all recognize that and experience it. And then there's what I experienced in that bed, which was not comfort it was the absence of discomfort mm -hmm. yeah and yet our our society is set up to optimize that f erroneous definition of comfort yeah right temperature control mm -hmm. so what does that mean temperature control it means you never feel anything right yeah um you know, uh, your tinted glass in your car, your first class five-star hotel, your business class travel. What's that mean? It means you never meet anyone. It means you're isolated all the time from any potential discomfort or inconvenience or, you know, unexpected anything, mm -hmm. which is another word for life. Right. Right. And friendships. And, you know, the, the people who end up being most important in your, in your life are people you meet by accident. Uh-huh. You know, the most interesting thing that happens traveling is almost always something you didn't plan. It comes about because the fucking bus broke down or you got lost or, you know, whatever. That's that's what makes it interesting. That's the life. Yeah. And yet here we are struggling to eliminate those opportunities uh -huh. from our lives. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh -huh. I think about I think about Wally for that reason a lot. Just I mean, the they like take that idea you know, and, and play it out to the end and you get these... I don't think I've seen it. I think I saw That's like brilliant. the first 20 minutes of it on a plane or something. Uh, it's like a little guy on a yeah. planet, the junk. It's like a, I mean, a, it's, a garbage it's heap or something. Earth, presumably, um, right. way in the future. Oh, it's just but, so depressing. But, um, Not way. <laughs> well, in the, yeah. The near-term future. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the people... At, at the at the end, like they're they're just living on this space station, and they they float around in these pods, and they don't actually have to move to do anything, and it's just mm. they, they just play out that whole like how far we can take this, the idea of yeah. comfort and. Um, well, in America, I mean, I come to America, and I, like yesterday, I went to Walmart to to pick up shit for the party or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people are riding around on those fucking carts? Yeah. Like, are those are all those people really fucked up? They can't walk? Or are people just starting to merge with little electric carts now? Obese people, you know? And soon, I mean, I'm surprised half of them didn't have a fucking IV drip hooked up to the mm -hmm. cart, you know? It's like, 
what's happening to the body in this country? Uh-huh. It's gone. It's weird. And then at the same time, we've got all these, you know, Iron Man 3000 and CrossFit and, right. you know, I, like all this celebration of like physicality while the culture is just like descending into obesity and uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I get off on my anti-American rants sometimes. It's not against Americans. It's against the fucking culture that's hurting Americans yeah. and, and the world, you know, more and more. Uh-huh. Anyway, what the hell? Where, where, where were we? The crazy wind on the volcano. Uh, you, oh, you got your, your, got your. <laughs> 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 we got your, right consumerism tent, tent technology. <laughs> I I uh, I had this great tent in Alaska the second year. It was a North Face VE twenty three dome tent. I'll never forget it. The Boulder it was called, mm-hmm. and the Rainfly was um, it had like pink and gray and green splotches on it. So when you set up the Rainfly, it looked like a boulder. Oh, that's it cool. was great. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. It's like a camo tent. What yeah. a what a great thing, right? Um, it reminded me actually of this guy I had met the first year I went to Alaska. I met this dude who, it's a long story, and I told it on a podcast. Uh, one of the first Toma podcasts. I have like different series. Toma is talking out my ass, <laughs> and that's where I'm just just me telling travel <laughs> stories from my own yeah. adventures. And I'd met this dude who had, like, been involved with the Mansons, even though he didn't re- They hadn't killed anyone yet, so he didn't know they were the Mansons. Yeah. But then they did. And then, yeah. like, oh, and then the cops were chasing him, and he didn't know why, and it turned wow. into this whole thing. Anyway, one of the things he told me was that they had uh, this place out in the desert where they, like, hid their weapons and, and drugs and shit. And they had uh, these tents these canvas tents i think that they had painted with glue and then threw sand on them they were invisible like you couldn't see them from five steps away it was um, like (laughs) what a great technique you know yeah anyway this tent reminded me of that because it was so and uh then i lent it to someone a red-tailed hawk's Mm -hmm. flying by here beautiful I lent it to a buddy, and and he it got stolen from his car in Madrid, oh. and uh, oh, he's coming back. I, folks can't see this, but there's a big red. That's a red-tailed hawk, right? I think so. Yeah. Um. So I called North Face because I wanted the same tent. Yeah. And they because I couldn't find it in any stores, and the guy on the phone was like, "Yeah, listen, man." Yeah, it's a great tent, but we took it out of production. I'm sorry. I was like, why? Why would you take it out of production? He said, well, to be honest with you, people would set up their tent, you know, and go off and smoke a joint and watch the sunset, and then they couldn't find their tent. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can see that coming. It never occurred to me. I guess, I don't know why. I never had it. I always found it, but (laughs) yeah. Why why am I saying that? So there's probably some out there. Just set up the people right. never found. That you right. could, yeah, you gotta go find one. Go just cover. Go, just go find it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's funny. <laughs> Somebody's just walking through the woods and like, oh, what was that? Oh, like, there's a tent here. <laughs> Holy shit. Um. So okay, so you got your you got your tent sponsorship. You got a new tent from Sierra Designs. <laughs> so what what other what other crazy weather things happen? Um, what what other like what what other nights 
do you remember or days? I mean, do you ever have any bad falls or like were there medical no. emergencies, snake bites or like um, were you attacked by eagles or anything? <laughs> like condor attacks? Yeah. Do you ever um, see condors down there? Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. they have like a, what, eight-foot wingspan yeah. or something? They're yeah. massive. Yeah. Really cool. Indian condors. Yeah, animals. What, what, like what kind of animal encounters did you have? Um, well, we had, a, we had a mountain lion come and eat a street dog that was hiking with us. That's awkward. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, Awkward. but also kind of awesome. Yeah, you know? that's exactly how we felt. Um, the the dog was not living a happy life, so it was uh, basically put out of its misery. Um, but uh, so where'd you pick up the dog? It followed us out of the last town that we were in. Um, Greg chucked a pear core he was eating a pear threw away the core the dog thought that oh god greg was his savior that's how hungry that dog yeah. was that yeah. a pear core yeah. was like the uh -huh. best thing that had ever happened yeah. to him oh shit yeah and we were going off like this was in the desert area <clears throat> the high desert uh, and we we could barely keep ourselves alive, find enough water for ourselves. So we were we were encouraging the dog to stay behind because we figured it wouldn't make it very far in the desert. Um, but it was it wasn't having it, and it was totally committed to us at this point because of the paracord. <laughs> So it I imagine women us. women must encounter men like that in the course of their lives, you know, <laughs> where like you, you like smile randomly at some guy in the street just because you're thinking of something happy and he happens to be in your line of vision. And next thing you know, he's like sending you flowers like, <laughs> you know, it's such a sad situation, but probably very common. Yeah, okay. So this yeah. poor dog's following you. And so do you guys, what are you doing about water? Are you, do you have a filter? Um, we had SteriPens. Oh, right. Um, the little, like you suck it and whatever no, it's in. No, it's a, the UV light. Oh. That you like put in the water and stir it up for 90 seconds with this UV light and it oh, kills shit. everything. Oh, I didn't know about that. I had yeah. a survival straw, it was called. Yeah. That was horrible. Oh, yeah. I could think of a lot of scenarios in which that would not be super practical i remember like the ad was you could put it in raw sewage and by the time you sucked it through it would be healthy you know or not kill you oh. but it's kind of a gross thing to consider though because yeah. <laughs> it was only like nine inches long right. <laughs> like, you're like oh i gotta no smell what you're gonna be yeah. yeah but i carried that around in india for like six months before i realized there was absolutely no reason like i could buy bottled water anywhere mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> um okay but you've got some high-tech uv thing i didn't even know that existed yeah. I, gotta, I gotta get one of those i gotta get a lot of those <laughs> to go with my hammocks <laughs> well they just one just one um no they're fantastic all right so, so you could just get like could we pull this water out of the pond oh here? yeah really yeah. this would be great yeah 90 seconds and uh -huh. all the weird shit that's swimming in there would be dead but you'd be drinking it still but yeah i mean you can pour it through a, a cheese t-shirt or we yeah. did like yeah bottom of our 
t-shirt of a lot if, they, if it was super chunky water. Uh, <laughs> chunky water. Ah, that's gross. But pretty much as long as it's not opaque, the the light works. Uh-huh. I mean, if there was a lot of stuff, we might do it a couple times. But, right. Uh, and did you get like giardia and dysentery and all that? Um, we did. Not because of the water, um, but because we ate a lot of... Um, any time that people were hosting us, we wouldn't turn anything down. Right. So there was a lot of food what? and drink that was not... Uh, a lot of guinea pig? Some. That was a more special occasion. Cooey. Did you do that... Um, what's that? Chichua or chicha or something? Chicha. The, um, yeah. Yeah. That's That, I think, was the, the culprit of several bouts of right. sickness which is like a beer made of saliva it's fermented um yeah it's either yucca or corn or like you can make it from different things but they basically it's like um traditionally the women of a village will like chew up whatever um yucca spit into spit it into a this big bowl vat thing let it ferment um and then so it gets a little little bit alcoholic and then you know pour off the liquid and um and it's like this communal activity thing sit around in a circle and pass around this bowl of of chicha and it's kind of beautiful yeah. Conceptually. Oh, yeah. Totally. But I think I'd have a hard time drinking it. Yeah. If you don't... It's like tongue-kissing every woman it. in the village. <laughs> which, as an idea, I think is a really beautiful idea. <laughs> but if I'm looking around the village, I really don't think I could do it. You know? I, don't, I, I think I'd offend people. I just don't think I could do the tongue with everyone in town. You can you can always like put the bowl to your mouth and like you can hide behind drink the bowl without drinking right um, but um, but you drank yeah and then you got sick yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I warned you over warned and you. over and over <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, okay so so wait we we left the the cougar attack. Yeah. Um, cougar, puma, mm-hmm. mountain lion. Yeah. Yeah, lots of different names for them. Yeah. Um, so the dog's walking along with this poor dog. You're in the oh, desert. Dog. Yeah. And what happened? Were you camping? We was were camping. It night? We, yeah, it was a totally clear night. So we were um, we were just sleeping out under the stars with oh. our tent set up. Yeah. Um, and the dog wanted to sleep near us, and we wouldn't let it because we were still trying to to dissuade it from following us. So it was like often, often the distance a little way under a You're tree. You like throwing stones to keep it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not hitting it with the stone. Yeah, throwing the stones nearby. Yeah. Um, and then um, we hear like this galloping sound, and we both shoot up right in our sleeping galloping. bags, and we're looking around in the dark, and we see this animal, like decent sized animal, like tearing across the the ground like i don't know 50 feet away from us um and it was like it was just a a fast dark shape because it 
you know, new moon. And um, and then we had the dog. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, and it gets, uh, we hear it, you know, moving further and further away. Oh, and the dog's still alive while the cougar's taking it off. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. that's yeah. rough. That's rough. No pun intended. Uh, rough, rough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow! But I mean, oh, in, in, I thought it, it would kill it right away, um, like shake it and break its back. You know, don't they right. do that? They do. Like um, they normally bite it in the back of the neck, and that's it. I, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a long. I, I, I don't think the whole process took very long. Yeah. Um, but we could tell they were moving away, and yeah. it, it carried it up into the hills, and. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, better the dog than you. Yeah. Because you're out in the middle of nowhere. Who knows if that cougar is like what it thinks about human scent. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you guys have a fire? Sometimes. Um, but I guess they they go after goats. I mean, there were enough goats around that they'd be a lot easier than yeah. people to target. I don't know. It'd be easier to kill a person in a sleeping bag than a goat. Well, yeah. <laughs> I always feel really up. vulnerable in sleeping bags. <laughs> you know, especially like in bear country, you're yeah. in a tent, you can't see what's out there, yeah. and it's like, uh, you know, the nylon is not going to keep the, right. the bear. Especially like, if you're sitting in there eating your sausage. <laughs> <laughs> that occurred to me at one point, <laughs> tripping on mushrooms. <laughs> That's right. Here I am with my meat. <laughs> Yeah, in Alaska. <laughs> in Alaska, we was and it was even worse because I I had worked that actually that I'm remembering a particular day when I tell that you know that image I was in Cordova, Alaska, mm. and I had been that was at the end of the summer and I had spent the whole summer in Kenai working mm-hmm. uh, on a, in a salmon cannery and yeah. I was on the slime line right or I'm gutting fish all uh-huh. day, and then I would go back and sleep in my tent. Oh God. And. Uh, so everything I owned smelled like salmon. Yeah. My sleeping bag, my tent, my clothes, my skin, my hair, like salmon. I was like a walking salmon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. And um, so we left, I was with these two guys and we left and uh, the first place we went after working for six weeks, we went up to McKinley mm-hmm. and we were walking back we we're going to go hiking in the Mount McKinley area for a while. And um, we're walking back this sort of dirt access road. And this, uh, like, warden or whatever he was, forest official guy, comes along in his truck. And he stops. And, how you guys doing? Good. How are you? And he says, you guys going hiking? Yeah, we're going to go camp in the backcountry for a while. Yeah, you guys been, like, working this summer? Like, yeah, we were down in Kenai working in the cannery. And he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, has it occurred to you that, like, you guys smell like salmon and grizzly bears can smell you from miles away? <laughs> like, I can smell you guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I smelled you, like, you know, up the road. You know, Are, have you, you thought about this? <laughs> and, and apparently, like, you know, at the end of the summer, he's, that's his job is to, like, find idiots like us and say, you know, you might want to consider this. Uh-huh. It's not like you can hang your your meat from the tree and not worry about bears. You guys are meat. You know? <laughs> You're the meat. <laughs> <laughs> You're the meat. <laughs> exactly. 
which is not, you know, yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, we just turned around like, what were, why did we not think of that? You know, how stupid can we be? Yeah, that was a weird gig. That was a really weird gig, like gutting salmon all day, 16 hours, seven days a week for six weeks. And then, I mean, it was really weird, too, because we had, you have to wear earplugs because of all the machinery, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so you're just in your head 16 hours a day, just like voices in your head. And, you know, I mean, I remember it's, it's kind of like meditation mm -hmm. where you like you peel off the layers of the onion and you get to shit like you hadn't. I remember this kid named Gigi who I was friends with when I was like three or something who stole my cap gun or I don't remember. And I like shit I never would have thought of. <laughs> You know, and then it gets so into your head because you're just gutting, 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 and you know you forget what you're doing, and your hand, the, the your right hand that holds the knife, sort of freezes into a grip because yeah. it's under this cold water spraying right. all day, and then like you go sleep at night and you're sort of sleeping and you get it in the morning and you get the glove on and you just slip the knife into your grip again and it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, but it gets like so into your head that. When you look at any random shape, it looks like salmon guts. Yeah. So you look at the clouds, oh, salmon guts. Uh -huh. You know, you, the clothes piled up in the corner of your tent, salmon guts. And then you get, and I had a red sleeping bag, and I'd like zzz, unzip it and peel it back. It's like, oh, now I'm going to crawl into my salmon and <laughs> sleep at night, you know. It was like, it was really pretty intense. And you had the olfactory you know, thing going too. But I didn't know it because, of course, like I couldn't <laughs> smell salmon, you know, at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been appropriate to be eaten by a grizzly bear, I suppose. <laughs> appropriate. That summer. <laughs> that would have been awkward. Yeah, yeah. It would have been an awkward demise. But anyway, so uh, your dog got eaten by a cougar. My wife's dog was eaten by a lion. Oh, oh yeah, wow. Yeah, so there you go. You're the second person I know whose dog was eaten by, was a, eaten by a, a, yeah. Um, so that was interesting. You must have seen some crazy stars out there in that desert. Yeah, yeah. And Southern Hemisphere stars, too. Yeah. They're the so Southern much cooler. Cross. Are they? Yeah. Why? Just because you don't recognize the constellation? No, because you can see the, well, the large and small Magellanic clouds. Like oh. these clusters, like what are, are they in the Milky Way? Um, no, they're they're so it's, they're it, other they're galaxies. Like, yeah, it's like uh, these little pockets of Milky Way. Ah, um, yeah, really cool. Wow, and you saw like a lot of shooting stars. I'm sorry, yeah, satellites. We saw a comet. Oh, you could see the tail of it. Yeah, we yeah. saw a comet when we were down there. Wow. And it, that's in the sky in the same place. It's not moving, right? right? It's just right. there. Yeah, I saw a comet. When when was that? I, I went out in the woods somewhere to see it. It Was it Haley Bop? Hale Bop. Hale Bop, was that it? Was that yeah. the one you saw? No. I don't, we never found out what the... Oh. I mean, we were, you know, in the middle of the mountains and... Oh, you didn't Google no. it? You didn't just like, hey Siri, what am I looking at? We didn't know. <laughs> How was the coverage? Smartphones didn't exist. Then. <laughs> well, they didn't exist. This is two thousand seven. We left in six. six we finished seven. in eight. So when we came back, blackberries were the big thing. Ah. But that, I mean, that was, that was a big jump. Isn't that bizarre? That, it's not even ten years ago. 
Right. And we're talking about something that's so common now yeah. that didn't exist right. then. That's weird. But yeah, so, yeah, we, I mean, we did the whole trip without cell phones. Right, phones, internet cafes. Yeah. 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 So that, that changes so much. Yeah, that's really weird. Do you know about the uh, Fermi paradox? Yeah. So I, this manuscript I just finished, I, I, uh, I don't know if this will still be the ending, but the ending I sort of try to put together is, you know, we live in this time of incredible change, right? And it's common to sort of think, well, things have always been changing and it's always been like this, but that's not true. Not like this. Uh, no, I mean, this is kind of a unique moment. Aside from, you know, sudden wars or disasters or something, it's very unusual for one generation to be living in a world that their parents wouldn't have recognized, right? I mean, that's, and here we're talking about 10 years, we're talking about a decade, a few years. But um, there are, there's a period, you know, vast periods in prehistory from, you know, 200,000 years ago to 40,000 years ago where virtually nothing changed that we can see from the artifacts. Like they made spearheads the same, they made their bows the same, like everything stayed pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so there's this huge period of, of non-change in our past. And then we look into the, for, into the future and we see the Fermi paradox, for people who don't know about it, it's named after Enrico Fermi, or Fermi, who said, who was a physicist who, I think, the first sustained nuclear reaction he uh, was responsible for. And he calculated, like, okay, there are all these suns in our galaxy uh, close enough, you know, within whatever, 10 light years or whatever. And, you know, they're like more than grains of sand on the beach and so a certain percentage of them have planets that are in the right distance so that life could form on the planets so there's an almost infinite number of potential sources of life close enough to us that it makes no sense that nothing has contacted us yet right so how is it possible that we're the only ones. Now there are two red-tailed hawks very close flying over us. That's beautiful. Maybe they think we're dead and they're gonna come and eat <laughs> us. There's a beautiful poem by Robinson Jeffers called Vulture, hmm. where he's lying on a rock and his vulture is circling over him. And he actually, and he knows the vulture thinks he's dead and he regrets that he's not. Cause he says like, I'm sorry, I, I wish I were because what a, beautiful life after death that would be. What an enskyment, he says. I love that word, enskyment. Yeah. Um, so the Fermi paradox is like, why is there nothing contacting us? Why is there no? And the fear of people like Elon Musk and, uh, and uh, who's this, is the British, um, the brief theory of everything, uh, the guy. Oh, Hawking? Hawking, yeah. The fear is that the, the two of them talk about is that there's a great filter, that there's something inherent to technology and civilization that makes, makes them destroy themselves when they reach a certain point. And that's why nothing is out there talking to us or trying to reach us because they all have blown themselves up uh -huh. or poisoned themselves or whatever. But what I was thinking <laughs> is maybe it's because civilizations reach a point where there are enough people like the people at this party this weekend who somehow 
that we re that we reach a level of intelligence and interconnectedness and and sophistication where we say it's enough this is enough we don't need more technology we've got we've got all the energy we want we figured it out we've got solar cells we've got wind power we've got all this stuff what we need to do now is just gradually and intentionally and compassionately reduce human global population because quality of life isn't about there being more of us quality of life is about being fewer of us with 10 million people on the planet we would be living in paradise we've got everything we want why do we need so just stop having kids for a while you know set up the tax code so if you don't have kids you get a huge break and just slow this shit down mm -hmm. and that's why no because yeah some of them <laughs> blow themselves up and the others are just like fuck it let's just go home you know mm -hmm. why would we want anything else when we have everything exactly yeah right it's not about eliminating discomfort it's about finding comfort right actual comfort mm -hmm. yeah is that a good place to end this i see you're getting cold yeah or we could row out in the middle. We've been talking for uh, an hour and thirty-seven minutes, oh, wow. and I know you're you're you got to drive back we to do the have city. To hit the yeah, road, yeah, yeah. Anything you want to? I mean, okay. So what about people who are thinking like, man, I'd love to go do it. walk the length of South America or something similar? Um, do you have any regrets? Um, your relationship is changed I don't know what your status is in terms of your um, so so Greg and I um, actually got engaged at the end of the hike oh. like we reached the lighthouse at the end of the continent you actually made it to the tip of Tierra del Fuego the, the southernmost point that is insane that's <laughs> like glaciers and fjords and shit down there right that's yeah it's like you look out and the only land out there is Antarctica I mean, we couldn't see it but it was not far did you do you remember seeing Mount Darwin I remember seeing the Darwin Range uh, yeah and the Woolia Cove there's a cove that I've written about that I, where he uh, there's it's a whole story about he had <laughs> the captain of the ship had been Beagle. on uh, what's his name no the Beagle the Beagle yeah, yeah yeah the captain I can't remember his name right now but he had uh, picked up three native people from Tierra del Fuego on a previous trip, took them back to England. Um, they, two of them were teenagers, and one guy was like 22 or something. Jemmy, Jemmy Button, uh, York, and uh, Fugia, because they were Fugian Indians, right? And had them educated in England. They met the Queen, all this stuff. And the idea was take them back down there so they could explain to their people like how much better life was in England and you know like to cooperate with the British and like hey you you know it's great. So they take them down on the boat that Darwin was on. The three of them went down on the trip.
so these guys are on the boat uh, with Darwin, uh, the three of them, after being in England for a few years, take them down and they drop them off in this, they stopped in this cove near Mount, what is now Mount Darwin, mm -hmm. which I guess is in the Darwin range. It was called Woolio Cove, W-O-O-L something Cove. And so they built them some little houses and they set up gardens and they got them all set up and they left them there and then they went and they did some of their mining, their mapping operations and then they came back like six months later or something and they found the gardens were all abandoned, the houses were abandoned and they're like, oh fuck, what happened? They die, they're sick, whatever. And finally, after a while, one of them, I think it was Jemmy, showed up and Darwin was so distraught that the guy was like, had reverted, you know, and he was like, oh my God. And they took him up on the boat and had dinner. And Darwin was pleased to see that he still remembered how to use a fork and knife and all that, right? And they were like, oh my God, what happened? And he explained like that they just like, they just went back to the way they were living before. It was, and, and the captain was like, well, we could take you back to England. He's like, no, no, I don't want to go back to England, no. And they were so confused, like, why? Why wouldn't you want to be civilized, you know? <laughs> and the quote that Darwin had in his journal was that, Jemmy said, but here there are, there's no need to, to garden. There are plenty birdies, plenty fishies. <laughs> like, Dude, why do you want me to work? What is wrong with you people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. So you were talking That's about... Okay. <laughs> This is all I know about Tierra del Fuego. That's this great. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, I've never been there. I'd love to go down there. It's, yeah. So you walked down, you made it to the lighthouse. Made it to the lighthouse. You got engaged. Got like, engaged. What could be more romantic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we figured out when we got to Bozeman that... Um, we weren't the best match for each other. We just, uh, there were other people out there that were better for each of us. We had very different needs in our relationship and um, we operated um, in very different ways and it just wasn't, it wasn't super healthy. We would have had so to force it and yeah. there was no no need and so we're still we're still very close we're still I mean yeah you guys know a, each other so well yeah, yeah. but it's funny that you figured that out in Bozeman and not in you know Chile well because we had to like uh, you had to make everything it. for each other for right. those two years so in a way you couldn't really step back and look at it until it was over right the trip. I, I mean, mean, out of necessity, we had to make it work. It's funny how, like, you could sort of look at your trip as marriage. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of marriages oh, are like that. Of, there's a lot of metaphor to be found in, the, <laughs> like, in this trip. Like, you know, couples who have kids. Yeah. It's kind of like you guys on the trail. Like, we need to get through this. Yeah. Let's not think about this too much. Yeah. We, we just need to keep moving. bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get to that lighthouse and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. 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 Kids go away to college and then it's time yeah. to figure out if I, you want to be in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, so it was mutual. You both sort of felt like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. Was that before or after you went to Washington for the, the National Geographic? Oh, uh, after. Uh, 
because yeah. that would have been awkward. <laughs> like yeah. all, everyone congratulating you, right. like, you have the perfect relationship. Yeah. Like, yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually had another big project, long hike planned, um, that we that we planned when we were together and then we split up, but we still had to do this big project together. And so we, had, we spent a month, 520 miles, trekking together what right after we broke what? up yeah. <laughs> what why haven't we been talking about that this whole time um <laughs> and and it was i mean it was amazing to to it was like the best possible way to 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 deal with were you still sharing a tent yeah yeah Wow. Because it wasn't... You can't drop that in at the end. That That's the whole story. <laughs> what the, who gives a shit about this South America bullshit? Where where was that? Um, that was in the... It was the greater Yellowstone region. So we started to the east of Yellowstone in, in Wyoming and trekked northwest to the Frank Church in Idaho. Um, these, so it was basically like connecting... Um, these two protected, large protected areas. Um, the, the point was to, to get to like ground truth, um, remote sensing data for, for, uh, like migration patterns of large carnivores. Oh, so, so could they, a corridor or something? yeah, so right. theoretically, could they get from, um, this, pop, this population center in Yellowstone to, to another like protected, large protected area of wilderness in Idaho? You're looking um, at bears, wolves, yeah, and mountain lions, yeah, right, um, and a little bit of wolverines, but mostly mm. mostly bears. So this is a wolves. scientific mm -hmm. sponsored thing, or yeah, yeah, right. we're working with some some research groups, organizations in, in the Bozeman area. Um, wow. They had all this data, but no one had just hiked it and take, right. taken the most likely path that it, that a large carnivore would take and. Um, to check out what what were the what was impeding movement um, yeah so this was all planned and, and uh, it was uh, yeah a tough decision to go through with it at that point but it was it, it was wonderful it was a great hike it was a great way to, to process things we did no part of us um, splitting up was lack of love yeah. and care for each other. Yeah. So that's I've been through that yeah. and a couple of times, and it's the most painful thing I've ever done. Yeah, I, that's how I describe it. Yeah, but also the thing I'm most proud of yeah. that I've ever done. Right. Yeah, because it's it's like open eyes all the way no anesthesia yeah because anger people use anger to cover their pain you know mm -hmm. the pain of of grieving yeah but to be able to grieve over it together yeah that's fucking beautiful yeah 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 great yeah and i, I and i think that was that experience was a, a total gift to our friendship right yeah cool all right any other advice <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, for the youngins out there, yeah, a lot of people have said, oh, let me ask you this. Cause I think I mentioned to you last night when I was trying to convince you to do this, that 
you know, sometimes I hear from young women and they're like, hey, you're talking to all these guys, these travel, these are all traveling, they're all guys, guys, guys. What about women? Like, what's it like for a woman to do this stuff? What would you say specifically to a young woman who's thinking like, I want adventure, I want to do this, mm -hmm. right? but I don't know how, I'm scared, you know? Yeah. What, what would you say to women? If you want to do it, make it happen. Like, I, I mean, I thought, um, like, what about, like, menstruating on the trail and, like, shit like that? Just, like, practical, fucked up, you know, like, inconveniences and all that. Uh, Is that an issue or it's not really a big deal? No, it's not a big deal at all. Yeah. You just figure it out. I mean, it's, um, women have been <laughs> do, doing this for That's quite true. a long time. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's a kind of dumb question, I guess. That's the no, kind but, of question a guy would ask. No, but that, I mean, girls, like when I was doing environmental education and we like working with kids in the woods, like, no, girls um, from our culture, uh, that's, that's a very, very normal question and worry. And um, yeah, things like that, I think, keep a lot of girls from from doing things um, I think girls fear of yeah um not knowing here comes this there it is there's something in that mic mm. um and also i think girls are even more than boys but both of us in this culture there's so much shame around being an animal yeah you yeah. know that like just acknowledging like oh i gotta shit in the woods or uh -huh. how do you do that right am i yeah. gonna carry like toilet paper all the way to tierra del fuego mm -hmm. or is this like wipe your ass with your finger and wash your hand you know <laughs> i mean yeah. i lived in india for years right, right, right. like overcame that whole like yeah. fear of my asshole you right. know <laughs> which was a really liberating thing which most americans never do like it they're probably you know americans in their 80s who have never touched their own asshole <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like wrap that shit in paper and like <laughs> don't ever touch it. Like yeah. it's your it's your fucking body. I mean, uh -huh. Jesus Christ, get over that shit. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that through hiking is good for. That. Yeah, nothing's off limits. We yeah, we're just human animals. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, and to answer th that question, um, yeah, I think fear holds a lot of people back, and and um, and a lot of that fear is about um, not doing something the right way, um, and or being afraid of of not knowing how to do something or. The, how things should be done and um, uh, I, I think it's a, it's okay to, <laughs> to not know and so many things there's not a, a right way yeah and even if you think you know once yeah. you get out there you find out you didn't know yeah you always have to work it out as you go what about if you had done that trip with another woman? Um. <laughs> We're just observing. Yes, there's a really cool <laughs> spider. Sorry. Um, 
Um, I think it would have been... In some areas, I think it would have been very similar. Um, but I know a lot of times people were surprised that that I was that I was doing this as a woman that I could you know keep up and carry as much and um, do you think you would have you would have been as safe if it were two women doing this trip as within a with a guy I do yeah because the people in the mountains weren't the threat right right yeah um, I think I wouldn't have felt as safe but I think I would have been as safe. Hmm. Did you, was it like your body, you know, because I know the first couple of weeks, I mean, you were already in good shape, but for most people, the first couple of weeks on the trail, your body's getting used to yeah. it and you're breaking in and yeah. you're sort of, did you feel the same sort of thing emotionally and psychologically that like after a week or two, you realize like, oh, nobody's going to hurt me up here. Like this isn't, or did you feel vulnerable? Can, you kept feeling vulnerable. Um, the the less so, definitely less so, as after that initial, um, just getting used to it. But but I mean, we were covering so much ground and going through so many different communities and cultures that right. You can't assume it's going to stay yeah, the same. Yeah. Right. Right. And you. You've been in the Amazon as well. Yeah. Now that, God, like this thing could go on for like nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> Which it should. I mean, damn. And how old are you? I'm 36. You're 36. Yeah. And you've like lived more than most people dream of living. I've fit a do you, lot in. Do you feel, because I used to, like when I was 36 and I would meet people and they'd be like, what, you're, you're in your mid-30s and you've done that and this and that. I'm like, holy cow. Do you feel like, um, I felt a very strong sense of, uh, like, uh, what, how, how can I say this? It's like, freedom to die and that's not the right phrase for it but I felt like I've done so much that if some horrible shit were to happen to me now or I get the diagnosis or, you know or I, I'm in a motorcycle accident and I'm confined to a wheelchair the rest of my life or whatever mm -hmm. I've done enough now that I think I'd be okay with that hmm. you know like I'd regret the you know, like there's this phrase you read a lot, like oh, so-and-so lost his life, you know, in an auto accident. And I'd be like, even if I died in an auto accident tomorrow, no one can say I lost my life. <laughs> I've fucking lived a life. You know, yeah. I've been, I had this experience in Guatemala and people have heard me talk about this. I was stung by a scorpion and I was tripping. I was on top of this temple in Tikal and the this local guy said that the scorpions were lethal. Yeah. So while I'm tripping on a full moon in Guatemala, I'm thinking I'm dying now. I was yeah. 27. And I had this really intense experience where I thought, well, I've been around the world. I've, you know, I've been in love. I've had great sex. I've had, you know, I've been to all these places most people never get to go to. And I was just like, all right, 
all right and i'm dying in a really cool way in a really cool place my friends are going to be amused by this <laughs> you know my parents will suffer but my friends will you know eventually they'll get it you know mm -hmm. and i was at peace with it wow you know do you feel that do you look and say fuck i've done it like the rest is gravy i've felt i have felt that peace um I know that feeling, but I also, um, I feel like I have an acute awareness of my mortality, um, such that I want to fit every little, every, I mean, God, there's so much more. <laughs> There's so much more I want to do and experience. And Are you driven by that? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but not in, not in a, like, checklist planning kind of way. Just, right. like, um, making time count. Right. Um, kind of way. I don't want to, I don't want to float. She says as she's floating, <laughs> as we're drifting across a pond. You don't want to float, huh? I got bad news for you, sister. <laughs> Sometimes floating's the best way to get somewhere. Look, look at us. Um, yeah, I hear you. I don't want to float in time. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't really care what I'm doing, but if I'm if I'm growing, then it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Movement movement's nice. Yeah. Although I like floating, I have to say I I like I I agree with you. I like moving. I like learning. Always, but uh, I also like relaxing. Right, but that's that's also. I mean, I would imagine you do a lot of processing and reflection yeah, right. when you're re relaxing, and that is also growth. Right, that's part of the process for sure. Yeah, like that. It, that time counts for a lot. Yeah. So, what's next for you? Mm -hmm. You uh, you working on more films? You're going to keep doing stuff with Josh? You got your own things going? Yes. yes <laughs> all of all that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what are you I'm doing? I'm figuring that out now. Yeah. Like coming off a two-year project that's really been, I mean, it's, this, this project, this specific film was like the culmination of, uh, I mean, you can always say that about everything. Everything brought you to this moment. But, um, I mean, this is the big, film that I've been wanting to make for years. Yeah. Um, and we made it. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't have like a, um, I don't know what I want to do next. Ooh. There's so many great stories out there. Did you hear that gunshot? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't shoot you. 
That'd be a really nice. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Boom. Oh, that'd be the most dramatic ending to a podcast I've ever had. I actually, I had a guy on the podcast, um, Ben, who, uh, yeah, he died before I got a chance to post the podcast. Wow. Yeah, it was really quite intense. Yeah. Wow. So I'm sure that won't happen with you. Yeah, let's hope. Let's, let's not repeat that. I'll, I'll get it up really quick. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> God. All right. We should get going. Thank yeah. you for doing this. This, this was you. really nice. Yeah. This, I mean, I was really looking forward to it just because I knew, you know, you had some interesting stuff, but I enjoyed it even more than I was hoping I would. Me too. Good. So, paleblue.com. Paleblue.media.com. Paleblue.media.com. Which also is not updated because... Right. But it talks about some of your film stuff. Yeah. Everything before How to Let Go of the World is up there. Okay. How to Let Go of the World. And the blog, the travel blog was acrossTheAndes.com. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sweet. That's it. All right. Time to row over to that dock. All Stop right. floating. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Thank you. So I guess it's pretty obvious that I was having a good time on that podcast. I hope you did, too. Uh, it was just so relaxing out there floating on that pond in Pennsylvania. Anyway, uh, you heard the Pale Blue Dot uh, website she just mentioned. And then uh, another one that I found when I Googled her is everyonesbackyard.com. Uh, that's one of her earlier films. And there's a bio and some photos of her and all that. I'll put that up on my website as well. Uh, that's it. I just really hope that by the time this goes out, that Dia is out of jail. What the fuck? Come on, people. I mean, what's going on with this, this situation up there with the, the pipelines? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Dakota Access Pipeline and you'll find all sorts of information about it. It's a sad state of affairs when, um, the government is blocking any sort of protest against technology and um, companies that are in the process of destroying the planet we all live on. But that's what's happening. And when someone like Dea gets arrested for standing there with a camera recording what's happening, when did that become illegal? Hmm. Strange, strange. Anyway, uh, let's hope that she's out. And uh, you can follow her on uh, Twitter. You can also follow Josh. She's at Dea Schlossberg. That's D-E-I-A Schlossberg, S-C-H-L-O-S-B-E-R-G. That's her Twitter handle. Uh, she also has a, a Dea Film uh, Twitter handle. Looks like she uses both of them. And, of course, the film is Let Go in Love, and uh, their Twitter is Let Go and Love Doc. Next week, I'll be bringing you my conversation with Josh Fox. And um, that's another great conversation from that same crazy weekend in Pennsylvania. So stay tuned for that. I will now play the outro, which you've probably heard a million times already. So this is probably where you, <laughs> you turn the damn thing off, but I'll play it anyway. Hey, buy some T-shirts. Uh, my mom said to me, go out there and sell some T-shirts. Sales have, have slumped recently, so keep Julie busy. Buy some of those damn T-shirts. We got some on sale. I know they're like 15 bucks. Where can you get a T-shirt for 15 bucks? Especially one that says Paleo Modern on it or Tangentially Speaking or whatever. Um, yeah, so if you want some T-shirts, 
Check them out at chrisryanphd.com. My mom will send them right out to you. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for listening. Here's the outro. I will catch you next week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through amazon.com or you know someone who does please direct them through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com you click on that baby once bookmark the landing page on amazon and then eight to ten percent of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones thank you to basin and range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast very funky little tune there uh called the bright side of the sun i believe you can find out more about them at basin and range band.com if you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners a good place to do that is on reddit just search tangentially speaking all one word there's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes i drop in occasionally and say hello answer questions whatever uh thanks to shore design t-shirts our garage is full of them my mom has them all organized as only she can julie thank you to julie my mom she'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them everything we've got in stock is from shore design t-shirts in thailand and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs thank you to carcy blanton you can find out more about carcy blanton at carcy blanton.com c-a-r-s-i-e-b-l-a-n-t-o-n.com she wrote and performed the song you're about to hear which is called smoke alarm and it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can because Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die 
a big deal if you wanna be free. Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.